You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. Regular listeners will know that I usually co-host this podcast every week with my partner in crime, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and her latest book is The Firestar a Maven and Reeve mystery. I'm without the wonderful Alison in this special in between episode. She's doing all three things and I'm going to treat you to a story session. Just you, me and our guest author of the week. Our regular episode where Alison and I talk about the wonderful world of writing will be released soon. Each episode you'll hear the first chapter of a book that we recommend either read by me or usually read by the author or someone else fabulously famous. Listening to the first chapter lets you sample something new while you're doing chores on your commute or, you know, we all love to discover new authors, but sometimes it's not that easy to get down to the bookshop and flick through dozens of books and wade through reviews on websites and that sort of thing. So we've brought the bookshop straight to your ears and you don't have to even, you don't even have to leave home. This week I've chosen... All We Have Is Now by Kanina May. This is Kanina's second novel, following her incredible debut, The One. Kanina has once again weaved together the story of three different women, Olive, Bree and Elsie, who run a wellness centre together. It's a beautiful novel full of compassion, love, hope, friendship, all while tackling serious themes. It will make you laugh and it will make you cry. Here is the blurb from the book. Health and well-being brought Olive, Elsie and Bree together. After five years, their bustling wellness centre is demanding expansion. A beautiful federation house nestled among the picturesque backdrop of their small town is the perfect place to grow their business, but they don't count on their personal lives getting in the way. Practical and pragmatic, Olive keeps her past hidden from her friends, but when an old high school flame shows up, the secrets she's worked so hard to bury threaten to tear her carefully constructed world apart. Brie is the fun-loving one, although family tensions lurk behind her free-spirited facade. The reappearance of her troubled sister, Winnie, brings Brie's priorities into sharp focus. Will she have to shelve her own happiness to save her sister? Kind and maternal to those around her, Elsie's role as the practice's counsellor comes naturally. But when tragedy strikes, her world tumbles down like a house of cards. With everything they've built in disarray, their friendship is on the line. Okay, now before Kanina reads the prologue and her first chapter from All We Have Is Now, she explains a bit more about her writing process and how this book came to be about. It's a wonderful insight into the life of a writer. So thank you to Kanina for sharing this with us. Here's Kanina May reading from her latest novel, All We Have Is Now. Hi, I'm Kanina May and I'm the author of All We Have Is Now. I wanted to say a big thank you to the Australian Writers' Centre for having me on their podcast. So thanks, Val and Al. I'm a big fan of So You Want to Be a Writer and have been listening for many years. I must admit that I'm team Al when it comes to the chocolate cake versus the noffy pie argument, but Val, you'll be pleased to hear that I've adopted your game of pick up, put down, and often spend the whole time I'm doing it contemplating about what treat I'm going to reward myself with after everything is put away. Al, like you, we also have a procrasty pup. Ours is a two-year-old chocolate Labrador who is affectionately called Albus, named after the one and only Albus Dumbledore from Harry Potter. 
He sits at the back door with a sad face when all the kids head off to school, making me feel hugely guilty for heading to my desk. I often put on music for him to make him feel like he's not alone. Now, thank you to everyone out there for listening. Valerie has asked asked me to record the answers to some questions before I narrate the start of my novel. So here it goes. Question one, what inspired me to write this novel? The very first seed of this story was sparked in terms of setting. After my debut book centred around the behind the scenes of a reality television show, I wanted a change of pace and to explore something different. I wanted to create a setting that was calmer and kinder. I remember seeing a wellness centre years ago and thinking how lovely that sounded, a place to concentrate on health and well-being, and ultimately happiness too. Now, if you're not sure what a wellness centre is, it's basically a place where health and well-being practitioners can come together and offer services to the public to help them on a journey to a happy and healthy life. In writing this novel, I created a fictional business called Healing Hands, a wellness centre that revolves around three women who, through working together, have become close friends. And in terms of services, Healing Hands offers counselling, nutrition, Pilates and massage. Writing about three women again, like I did in the one, felt very natural, but this time I wanted their stories to weave together a little closer so that I could, so that I could explore the theme of friendship. I felt like a lovely juxtaposition to this beautiful setting of a place of healing was that either each of our three women were dealing with their own aches and losses. I drew on experiences from people I know to write what I hope to be a raw and honest story about life being messy, complicated, yet still full of love. Question two, can you describe your writing process? My writing process is constantly evolving especially since my life as a mum changes with kids going to school. For a long time, my writing came down to my baby sleep times and then when they got older, quiet time when they'd watch a show or a movie. When I first started writing this book, my youngest daughter was going to preschool one day a week. It was about a half hour drive away. So instead of losing an hour driving there and back, I'd go straight to the local library to work there instead. When I was first developing this story, I looked through lots of wellness-type magazines at the local library to get inspiration about not only different story strands, but also the type of feeling I wanted the business of Healing Hands to have. In terms of actually writing, I don't write chronologically and flip back and forth throughout the story. I don't think this is necessarily something that I should recommend. However, it's how my brain works. I was trained writing for television where you work through strands of not only the episode but a story arc across a whole season, so often this was done out of sequence. I find that I still think about story like that. An idea will spark about a spotlight scene, something big that I want to happen. In writing that scene, I might get another idea of something that I should sit in before that scene, so I'll go back to try and find somewhere to fit it in, or often I might just write myself a note to say, <clears throat> need to drop clue about X here. It often works for later in the story too that I know that I need to pull the thread through so I'll leave a note or jump time in the novel to write a scene that relates to the one that I'm currently working on. For this book, I use the program Scrivener, which I loved as it's so easy. I left my notes, I left myself notes all over the place and I colour-coded my characters. I definitely wish I had have used it when I was writing the one. 
both, All We Have Is Now and my debut book, The One, had three characters, three main characters. So I'd often write quite a bit on one character and that was simply because I'd get invested in their personal story and would charge forward with the momentum of what was happening to them. Of course, I would try to make sure that the stories of each of the characters would weave together and keep the right amount of pace. For this story, all we have is now, I had a big plotting sheet, or I should say several plotting sheets, as I redid them over and over. This was something I would do if I'd get stuck or I'd feel overwhelmed by the mess of the story. Plotting sheets always make me feel like I'm organised and have more control. It doesn't always mean that I do have control, but it helps my mindset. I would often print out the manuscript and read over it to see where any holes were or what threads had dropped out. And I would do this even before a first final draft was finished. And I don't think that this is necessarily something I should recommend either, but often because of the kids, there would be big time spaces between my writing sessions. Some days, a few days would go past before I'd be able to get back to the story and uh, I would end up reading a lot more, which I know isn't progress, but it was how I had to work. Um, reading over it would also usually give me more ideas of other things I wanted to include or in other cases realise that I needed to trim information that I had already told in another scene. I'm totally open to advice on writing styles and I already know that I've done a few things differently in writing the manuscript that I'm currently working on to different things that I've done in the past. I love listening to how authors write. I think as authors we're so interested to hear what works for someone else with the hope that it might work for us too. Question three, what was the most challenging aspect of writing this book? I think for some readers, all we have is now is going to be confronting and emotional. And for this reason, finding the emotional truth for my characters was at times difficult. Another aspect that I found difficult was that when I was writing my first book, The One, I wasn't thinking about the reader as such. I was just writing the story that I wanted to tell. Of course, with the hope that it would one day be published and that one day people would read it, but it was still a very vague notion. I can already see that there is a kind of luxury in the freedom of writing your first published book that an author doesn't get back again. Thankfully, the rough story of All We Have Is Now was almost a complete draft by the time the one came out, but as I went through the stages of drafting and editing, the reader became more and more in my mind. I felt that I was often thinking, what would the reader be thinking now? Or what would the reader think about this? It was, something that, it was something that would pull me out of the story, which I did find challenging. Question four, what was the most rewarding aspect of writing this book? The book is dedicated to some really special people and their families. Asking them about including the dedication was a really emotional experience for both me and them, but ultimately it was the most rewarding aspect too. And question five, what are my top three tips to aspiring writers. So tip number one, prioritize your writing, acknowledge that it is important to you and make time for it. Tip two, allow yourself to wallow. Some days the words won't come or you'll be filled with self-doubt. Other days there will be rejections or criticisms. Give yourself time to nurture your heart. Some of you might only need 10 minutes, others might need a few days, but then get back to the computer with fierce determination. And tip number three, be stubborn. If being published is your dream, don't give up on it. Now I'm going to narrate the prologue and the first chapter of my book, All We Have Is Now. All We Have Is Now. 
prologue. It's perfect. We haven't seen inside yet, Olive said. We don't need to, just look at it. Olive stood next to her two closest friends and stared at the large Federation house. It was easily the best place they'd seen, with wide sweeping verandas, a tall chimney and panels of lead lighting the front windows. Elsie sighed, it's beautiful. It'll need work, Olive pointed out. It looked like it had been years since the place had been looked after. Don't tell me you're scared of a bit of elbow grease, Bree said. Olive raised her eyebrows. I'm not afraid of it. I just have a feeling I'll end up doing most of it while you two pick paint colours. Purple, Elsie said without hesitation. A soft lavender for healing and relaxation. Olive turned as she heard a car pull up behind them. The Schmick real estate vehicle looked out of place against the country town's wide street, scattered with large shikaranda trees and picket fences. Olive turned to them. Play it cool. We don't want to seem too interested, okay? Bree snorted. Since when have you been able to play it cool? Olive had tried it once upon a time, but they didn't need to know that. We'll try our best, Elsie smiled as she pushed her long honey brown locks over her shoulder. Her dress had swirls of yellow and orange, reminding Olive of rays of sunshine. She smoothed down her own dress, black with a grey trim around the arms and collar, before turning to greet the agent walking towards them. Olive was surprised he was old enough to have a driver's licence. He looked like a small boy he had dressed up in his dad's work clothes. He's not a bad sort. Bree's eyes twinkled. She ran her hands over her short blonde hair, her black, her black tank rising up to reveal her taunt stomach. She pushed her boobs out. Olive surveyed the agent. He was short with a shaved head and dark eyes. She guessed his face was nice looking, but he was still young. She gave Bree a look. Can we concentrate on the place and not your love life for five minutes? Business first, pleasure later, Bree assured her with a mischievous wink. Hi, ladies, the agent said as he approached. Olive was positive his voice hadn't broken yet. He even had a pimple on his chin. She extended her hand. Olive Atkins, I spoke to you on the phone. Asher Simmons, these are my business partners, Elsie Parker and Bree Vandenberg. After shaking their hands, Asher led them up a few stairs and onto the veranda. It's a great property, he smiled, seeming to hold Bree's gaze for a moment longer than natural. He unlocked the panelled front door and led them into the house. The entrance was spacious with breathtaking high ceilings and detailed cornicing. There was a room off to the side that Olive quickly noted could be used as a waiting room. It was built in 1902. It's been with the same family for four generations, Asher told them. Why are they selling? Olive hoped the roof wasn't about to collapse. The husband died a few years ago and the wife's been moved into a nursing home. None of their children want it. Who wouldn't want this place? Elsie asked. They all live in Sydney with no interest in coming back. They want the money for their city mortgages. Ollie felt a sting in her heart for the elderly couple, wondering if they'd have been upset that none of their children had wanted their family home. But it didn't stop her hoping that they'd budge on the asking price. Asher guided them down the hall and moved to the side so they could inspect the rooms. Olive exchanged an impressed look with both Elsie and Bree when Asher wasn't looking. They'd wanted to get it out of their tiny commercial shop for a while, and this was ticking lots of boxes of their ideal place to relocate. All the plumbing has been recently replaced, Asher told them as he took them into the kitchen. Olive almost gasped. The kitchen was an oversized space with a large square bench table in the centre of the room. There was an abundance of cupboards, a long window and a door onto the veranda. 
Olive couldn't help herself. I could run small cooking classes, she whispered. Asher looked pleased by her interest. What was it you do again? Run a wellness centre. Olive tensed and quickly tried to cover. Yes, but we're looking at a few places. There's some great houses around at the moment. No places like this, though. Asher nodded and took them through to the back of the house. A large north-facing room was drenched with warm sunlight. This would be a perfect spot for my Pilates classes. Bree's eyes were dancing. All group sessions, Elsie added, looking to Olive. All your nutrition talks. Olive was flooded with ideas. The potential of the room was endless, and she forgot once again about not appearing too interested. We could hire the space out for workshops or talks for extra income. Elsie moved towards the large windows and looked out over the overgrown garden. The backyard was large yet private, with hedging around the perimeter. A path of herringbone brick paving led past flower beds filled with lavender, camellia and roses. At the back of the yard, a worn vegetable patch screamed for attention. We could set up a little table and chairs for people to relax, Elsie murmured. The bathroom is through this way, Asher said, moving off. Bree quietly stamped her feet with excitement and whispered, I love it. It's got more rooms than we need, Olive said, voice rushed. She was most familiar with the figures coming in and out each month. Financially, we'd have to get someone else in. This was a setback. They had started their business five years ago, and they worked well together. Olive was reluctant to change the dynamic. It might be time, Elsie shrugged. We're not going to find another place like this, Bray agreed. Asher moved back into the room. Did you want to see the bathroom? No, Olive said. We'll take it. She felt a rush of excitement that she hadn't felt in a long time. Bree and Elsie both laughed. What happened to playing it cool? She tilted her head to the side. Cool has never been my thing. She knew she didn't need to see any more to know that Healing Hands was going to blossom in a place like this. Chapter 1 Maybe the podiatrist? Olive pulled the CV to the top of the pile. Bree rolled her eyes. She was even more boring than you. I'll try not to take offence to that. The interviews had lasted a few hours. A psychologist, a herbalist, a podiatrist, a physiotherapist and three psychics. All of them had applied to rent out a room in Healing Hands. Seven of the applicants were female. The only male was a herbalist from the hills of Elands. He arrived almost an hour late for his interview with no shoes and couldn't provide them with any formal qualifications. Olive knew she was supposed to embrace the alternative in their line of work, but no shoes to an interview? It made her shudder. Their receptionist, Nia, came into the room. A man has just arrived. He hasn't sent in a proper application, but he's happy to interview right now. I had a quick look at over his CV, and he's worth seeing. Why hasn't he applied properly? He only saw the advertisement this morning. Drove straight here, Nia explained. You did say a man would be good for business, Elsie reminded her. Their clientele at Healing Hands was predominantly female. And he's quite good looking, Nia assured them with a grin. Definitely send him in, Bree said. A few moments later, Nia led them back up the hall. Oh, listen to that, Bree murmured. Strong, manly footsteps. Makes me go a bit weak at the knees. Oh, behave yourself, Elsie said, the only married one of the three. 
I led through Elsie in an appreciative look. She liked it when she didn't always have to be the stickler. Nia was a bit flushed when she re-entered the room. This is Tom Henderson. She, stuck to the, she stepped to the side. Olive felt all the air in her lungs evaporate at the sight of him. Olive Atkins? His face broke into a smile. He was clearly pleased to see her. It's been years. Thirteen years in September. Olive wouldn't ever forget. She could feel the other women watching on with great interest. At school she'd always thought he was cute, but he'd definitely grown into his looks. She found the gaze of his dark blue eyes unsettling. You're one of the owners? Yes, I'm, I'm the dietitian. He smiled, but couldn't hide that he clearly wasn't expecting that answer. Wow, I thought you would have been off on the other side of the world. He trailed off as though realising he was probably at risk of offending her. Olive cleared her throat as she tried not to think about the fact that living a small life in William, a country town with a population of no more than 6,000 people, would be the last thing that people from school expected of her. How are your parents? he asked. Yes, fine, Olive said, scared her voice would give away too much. Are they still in Loriton? She could feel her cheeks warming. She barely talked about her parents, or her hometown, despite them both being only an hour away. She visited when she had to, birthdays, Christmases, that kind of thing, but otherwise she avoided it. Memories haunted her from the moment she walked in the front door. Yes, still there, she finally managed, wondering if he was imagining her childhood a brick house with the large pretty tree at the front too. How do you guys know each other? Bree's eyes danced with devilry. Olive ignored the tightening in her chest and tried to wave the topic away. We went to the same school, and while they were never really good friends, Olive knew her description wasn't quite accurate. How was your big trip? The last I heard was that you were going around Australia. Sweat prickled her temple. It was fine. Until it wasn't. I didn't know you went travelling, Elsie mused. She hadn't spoken to them about the charm. She tried to rebuild her life, only to have it destroyed again. Olive gestured for Tom to take a seat. Anyway, we better get on with this interview. Yes, of course, he said, but not before she saw a flash of disappointment fall across his face. Olive could feel the others looking at her. She was usually the one to take them through the interview, but she was momentarily flawed, her heart fluttery, her arms jittery, as though she'd drunk too much coffee. She tried to suck in more air. She felt Elsie trying to meet her eye. Olive flashed her a panicked look. Elsie took the hint. So Tom, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Olive threw Elsie a small smile. She had to pull herself together. Tom cleared his throat. I'm a massage therapist. Her breath quivered in the back of her throat. Of course he was a masseur. She found herself staring at his hands. Large, capable healing. Oh, how lovely. Bree's voice was as sweet as honey. Tom went on to tell them about his training and credentials. All impressive. The more he talked with his deep, soothing voice, the more obvious it became that he was the perfect candidate for the position. So you've just moved here? Bree asked with interest. Actually, I don't live anywhere right now. I've packed up my place on the Sunshine Coast. My dad recently passed away. I want to be closer to mum. It was a good hour's drive to their hometown of Loriton, 
but career prospects anywhere on the mid-north coast were pretty slim. Olive could see both Bree and Elsie were a little taken by this man. She wanted to scream. She wanted to find a big fault, or at least a tiny reason why they shouldn't hire him. She also wanted to say that she was sorry to hear about his dad. Mr. Henderson had been a teacher at their high school, and she particularly liked his science classes. But somehow her voice couldn't quite manage the words. She was terrified her condolences would lead to another conversation she didn't want to have. We're still interviewing, Elsie told him, but we'll be in touch. Olive stood, signalling the interview was over. She was eager for him to leave the room so she could breathe properly again. It was good to see you, Tom held her gaze, causing heat to spread from her face to her neck and all over her chest. Once he had left the room, Bree and Elsie turned to her, their eyes wide, but she just shook her head, and words she barely ever said spilled from her mouth. I need a drink. Twenty minutes later, the three women sat at the table in the beer garden of their local pub. Elsie and Bree looked at her expectantly, waiting for Olive to fill them in on her relationship with Tom Henderson. There's not much to tell, Olive began, knowing she was balancing on a tightrope of truth and lies. We were in the same year at school. Then did anything ever happen between the two of you? Elsie asked. No, nothing at all. Elsie stared at her. Olive knew she didn't believe her. So you don't like him? You know, like that. No, Olive said a little rush, knowing Brie was definitely interested in him. But Brie was always interested in any new male, so Olive tried not to let it bother her. She took a large gulp of her wine and noticed Elsie was still watching her thoughtfully. Oh my gosh, Brie whispered across the table. Look who it is. Olive turned and there was Tom Henderson for the second time that day. Her stomach dropped to the floor as she saw Brie wave him over. Brie! Olive muttered under her breath. He approached, a flustered expression across his face. Hello again, a lovely afternoon for it. He nodded, indicating the drinks around the table. We were just talking about you, Bree said, a cheeky glint in her eye. Olive fought the urge to kick her under the table. This looked like it knocked the wind out of him. <laughs> Good things, <laughs> he looked hopeful. Of course, Olive said professionally, ignoring the sweat on her neck. I imagine you all had a laugh over the Valentine's Day card I sent Olive all those years ago. <laughs> he laughed nervously. Olive silently groaned, her eyes dropping as she reached for her glass of wine. No, Elsie said. We know nothing of any Valentine. But please join us, Bree moved to give him space next to her on the bench seat. We'd love to hear more about Olive's mysterious school days. Ah, Tom's eyes fell on Olive, perhaps waiting for her to support Bree's invitation. When she said nothing, he shrugged. I better not. I'm, I'm meeting your mate soon. Olive was barely able to make eye contact with him as he politely excused himself. Once he walked away, Bree frowned at Olive. Well, that was rude. Think it's, I don't think it's appropriate to mix business with pleasure. It's very unprofessional. We still haven't decided who we're hiring yet. Yes, we have, both Bree and Elsie chorused. No one even comes close to Tom. Elsie leaning closer. We'd be silly not to hire him. Olive oh, exhaled loudly. She knew they were right. And what's this about a valentine? Bree smirked as though they'd gotten to the bottom of Olive's secrecy. Olive shook her head. We were in primary school. I honestly have no idea why he'd even bring that up. Don't tell us he's been pining over you for 20 years. 
Don't be ridiculous, Olive pushed out of her chair. Anyone for another drink? An old Valentine's Day card from Tom Henderson was the least of her worries. It was the fact that he could reveal secrets she'd been hiding for over a decade that was scaring her senseless. Well, if you're not already convinced, trust me, you're going to love these characters and their stories. Kanina has a gift for creating people who are so complex and real that you can't help falling in love with them. All We Have Is Now is published by HarperCollins, Australia, and you can pick up a copy in your local bookstore. Kanina is actually one of our graduates here at the Australian Writers' Centre, and I'm so thrilled to see her continuing her publication success with this book. Although I am a little disappointed that she is team chocolate. You know, people will know I'm team Banoffee all the way. Anyway, if you're keen to write your own contemporary novel, the Australian Writers' Centre is a great place to start. And that's exactly what happened with Kanina. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Kanina May has done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and her women's fiction novel, The One, was published by HarperCollins. Here's what she says. My name's Kanina May and I'm an author. I've done several courses for the Australian Writers' Centre over the years and they've definitely made me become a published author. Before I started doing courses, I was working in television production. I loved this and have always loved story. The creative writing course really set me on the right path for getting the one where it needed to be. I had a few scenes that I thought were the start of the book, but after doing that course, I realised that that happened much later in the story and I needed to come back and start way beforehand. So it kind of put me in the right place for the story. Um, Additionally to that, I think it gave me just the motivation to keep going. I came away feeling really inspired and I knew that I wanted to complete it. I wanted to get my women's fiction book on the shelves. I'd been going to quite a few festivals where so many authors were saying how important it was to create an author platform. So I decided to take the plunge and enrolled in the Build Your Author Platform course. It's about creating yourself an online presence and being able to connect with other writers, other authors, whether it's fans or people that have written books. I had had an online presence for about two years before I got my book deal. So I had had, I had made connections and I felt that when I did get the publishing deal, I already had a lot of authors that knew of me and were really genuinely happy that I had broken through and gotten that first deal. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered a great writing community. I came away with the motivation and inspiration to keep on going. I definitely recommend the Australian Writers' Centre for any course. I think it's a brilliant place. I always listen to the podcast. It's always inspiring. I constantly want to do more courses. I think there's always more to learn. There's always places to be inspired. And there's always connections to make. There's friendships. I've got some great friends out of doing courses and meeting them at festivals and reaching out to other authors. Definitely go for it. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. Thanks for listening to Story Sessions of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at 
writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre. Do connect with us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at writerscentreau, and of course, connect with us personally in our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Alice and I will be back to our regular programming in the next episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.